1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as someone who doesn't trust artificial intelligence. I only buy organic, free-range intelligence. Thank you very much. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, joining us from Tel Aviv is Daniel Schreiber, the CEO of Lemonade. It's an AI-driven insurance company that says it can resolve home and renters insurance claims almost instantly, and do so without human bias. He co-founded the company in 2015. Daniel, welcome to Recode Decode.
3: Thanks, Kara. great to be with you.
2: So, why don't you explain what you're doing? Because, you know, every aspect of our lives are being uh, affected right now by coronavirus, but let's explain what Lemonade does, and then I want to talk a little bit about the insurance business right now, because obviously it's getting uh, affected uh, pretty strongly by the current crisis.
3: Sure, so um, I co-founded Lemonade um, some four years ago with Shai Winninger. And while we've been for 20 years entrepreneurs in the tech space, we were both newcomers to insurance. And we really tried to take advantage of that outsider's perspective to think about ways in which we could reinvent the category. And what we ended up doing is building a new kind of insurance company, one that's built from scratch, using an entirely digital substrate, and it replaces brokers with bots. Um, it promises zero paperwork, instant everything. But we also try to reimagine not only the technology stack, but also the business model. Uh, we established Lemonade as a certified B Corp, and we tried mm-hmm. to solve one of the most um, troubling facets of insurance, which is that insurance companies don't trust the insureds, and they return the favor in kind. of Americans when surveyed say, it's fine to embellish claims for insurance companies. So we tried to think through how do you create a system that is trusting and trustworthy, and we brought a lot of social impact and charitable giving into the equation in order to solve that really tough problem. And the upshot is an insurance product where you get insured in 90 seconds from the comfort of your smartphone, where you can get paid literally in three seconds when you make a claim, and where unused underwriting profits are donated to a nonprofit of your choice.
2: So explain why, how you break, I mean, people have practices and they're used to them and, and they have this distrust of insurance companies and, and again, do lard over their claims to insurance companies. Explain the system that you've created, because changing people's behaviors is probably one of the hardest things of any of the challenges that businesses face.
3: I think you're right. that The fraud problem in insurance is unusual, though. most tech companies or other companies that you speak to who are worried about fraud or worried about criminal networks, oftentimes from overseas, hacking in, stealing credit cards. Insurance is unusual because the fraud perpetrated on insurance companies overwhelmingly is conducted by people like you and me, people who are just customers who in other aspects of their life are law-abiding citizens. And something about insurance triggers them. It brings out the devil in them. And that really created a fascinating intellectual challenge for us. It wasn't so much how do you turn criminals into upstanding citizens. It's how do you just stop this an- anomaly whereby insurance brings out the devil in people. And the way we tried to do that in the early days. Hey, could we you used, explain
2: why you think that is? It's not just a mystery.
3: You're absolutely right. Um uh, in the as we were founding the company, we reached out to some Nobel laureates in game theory and behavioral economics and. The bottom line for us was, if you simplify everything away, insurance is distrusted because of the business model. If you claim $1,000 of me, if I pay you those $1,000, I'm $1,000 poorer, you're a 1000 richer, and vice versa. We're fighting over the same coin. And not only that, but there's an asymmetry here, right? I have information, you don't. I understand the policy, you don't. I already have your money, you don't. And all of those things give you the sense that this is an uneven playing field, that if you don't tilt things in your favor, you'll get swindled. So you feel at liberty to embellish your claims and you justify it to yourself without thinking of yourself as being a bad person. And so for us, one of the reasons that we didn't just create a technology infrastructure for insurance companies, but stood up a new company, a new licensed insurance entity, was because we wanted to create a business model that was unconflicted. And the way it works at Lemonade is, you pay us $1,000 for your premiums, we will tell you in advance that we're going to take a flat fee. 25% of that is ours. Now, a flat fee is not unusual in the tech scene, but it's pretty much unheard of in insurance, where insurance profits fluctuate literally depending on the weather, not so with lemonade. We created this interesting financial structure whereby you pay us your premiums, and we tell you we're going to take a flat fee. Now, how do we know what that flat fee will be? We don't know if there'll be wildfires. We don't know what hurricanes will come. So we guesstimate how many claims we're going to have to pay. We use all the statistical and data that we can in order to divine how much it's going to be, but it's going to be an imprecise number. We collect the premiums, and then we've got these two ballasts that stabilize at 25%. On the one hand, we buy something called reinsurance, which is basically a financial way to offload any excess claims on other insurance companies. We sell them those excess claims. And on the other hand, we have something called Giveback, which is a charitable donation that we make once a year if there are not that many claims, if there's money left over. And that changes the dynamics profoundly. We suddenly cannot make money denying your claim. We've put that money beyond our reach, and we tell you that, and that changes the way you think about us. But also think about you, Kara. If you went to make a claim today, it's you against the nameless, faceless behemoth with whom you have a conflicted relationship. It's mm-hmm. you against like the man. I like my insurance
2: company. Just so you know, I have a good. <laughs> inter- I, I, I a company called Amica, and I love them. They're I think fabulous. they've been
3: great. I know they, they are. Really are. They really are. They've they never really been
2: are. like they're just lovely. They never question anything. I, it's interesting and a great customer service. But go ahead, go ahead move yeah, and move on. You've got one the one person rated, who likes
3: their insurance. Yeah, you yeah. well, You're the exception I never than the them. rule. They're one of the yeah. top rated insurance companies and that's well deserved. But your your experience and your perspective is not shared by most Americans, or in fact, by, by mm-hmm. most of humanity for hundreds of years. But it, right. think about if you're coming to make an insurance claim and you don't trust your insurance company, but you know that embellishing your claim isn't gonna hurt this insurance company that you don't trust and don't care about. It's gonna hurt a charitable organization you do. Your kid's PTA, your local church, the soup kitchen you volunteer at on Sundays. That flips a switch in our mind and suddenly we say, one second, I'm not going to be so quick to swindle them. And it brings honest people back to the honest behavior that characterizes the rest of their life.
2: I see. So it's a $1,000 claim. Uh, 250 goes to you, uh, your company, in and out, just no matter what. So the rest of the 750 if over the course of the year, nothing happens, you get back, you you give that away. You give that part away.
3: So not a $1,000. 000- it's not used to
2: balance out the other
3: insurance claims. Yeah, so there's a mix. If you pay $1,000 in premiums, your charity, it's not you, but your charity will get up to $400 back. So what we do is every person who buys lemonade gets to choose a charitable organization they care about. And that kind of behind the scenes creates a community of sorts, a cohort, who are unified by a common cause. And once a year, mid-year, on the 1st of July, we look at what's called the loss ratio. How many losses as a percentage of the premiums did that cohort have? And if it was 40% or lower, all the dollars that would make it up to 40% are given to that communal cause. So some of the money is needed in order to pay other claims, to pay for reinsurance, et cetera. But think about it, up to 40%. And actually last year, we've been doing this now for three years. Um, We've had sizable givebacks. In fact, our charitable giving as a percentage of revenue last year was about 20 times higher than the Fortune 500s. And it went to a bunch of worthy causes. We saw whether it's Meals on Wheels or UNICEF, um, charity water. We did five water projects in Africa over the course of the last year. Um, Vaccines with the Red Cross. We financed a 1,000 girls and women being taught to code in Afghanistan through Code to Inspire. So loads of different charities that our community care about get funded through this goodwill and good luck of our members.
2: And talk about the idea of dealing with bots and getting it. I mean, there's obviously SoFi and some others that do that now that are much quicker in, in financing. Talk about the idea of using AI
3: to do this. So... Insurance, remarkably, has had very little innovation. It's, it's, it's 11% of GDP. It's absolutely huge. And 12 of the Fortune 100 companies are insurance companies, but their average age is 125. So this is really an industry that is dominated by legacy players and by broker-based distribution. If you buy homeowners insurance in America, 95 times out of 100, you're dealing with a broker. But it's really not necessary for the overwhelming majority of our needs Um, We can do this in our pajamas from home. We can do it while we're waiting for the latte to be made after we place an order at a Starbucks or during a commercial break on TV. And in fact, the median time to get a policy on lemonade is 90 seconds, so it really is that simple, that playful. And getting the policy is just the beginning, and you you do that only through chatting to a bot. There's no other way to buy um, insurance on lemonade. But frankly, making a claim is the same. So 97% of the time, our customers opt for the bot to make a claim. And the bot will ask them all the same questions that a human would. It's instantaneous, it's responsive. It will ask them for receipts, ask them for police reports, ask them for whatever is necessary. They'll take photos with their smartphone. And in about a third of cases, the bot will make the full manage the full process right through to paying the claim. We actually hold the world record for paying a claim, because we pay claims every day of the week in three seconds from when somebody presses submit. So it's just transformative. It slashes costs and it delights consumers. And if you look on Twitter or elsewhere, you'll see that the level of customer satisfaction that this engenders is really outstanding.
2: Mm-hmm. And so they, and, and then the other cases where they, cause I, you know, I just got some more insurance on a house I have and they had to come see it. They have to come make sure they have inspectors to make sure they're insuring and that I have the correct, I don't know, copper pipes and things like that.
3: Yeah, so lemonade is not for everybody, but it is for almost everybody. So there are some insurance companies that specialize in high net worth individuals and if you've got a special... That's not me, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> if you've got a <laughs> special collection No, but I'm saying or, I think
2: they do that a lot. I think they come and see so we not do that necessarily as,
3: your carb. You're right. And we do that as needed, but frankly, oftentimes it isn't. So we've been training, again, AI models. We, we use machine vision to, to get satellite imagery and, and get a lot of data that way. We use data sets in order to not trouble you and not come to your house as much as possible. And overwhelmingly, we really can do that. So we don't even need to ask you questions. Satellite imagery and and, um, machine learning will tell us if you've got a swimming pool, what kind of tiles you have on your roof, all that kind of good stuff. And we collect stunning amounts of data for the pure purpose of assessing the risk and giving you the best coverage that you want. Um, And a lot of the ways that things were done traditionally, frankly, are much more labor intensive, but generate about a tenth or sometimes a hundredth of the data that digital interactions can generate. So it produces so it's a less good result.
2: These, it's so, so it's pointless to have, I'm thinking of you know when people used to have uh, scouts that went out to baseball fields, the, the data was better than the scouts. That's and, right. Although everybody's mind was that the scouts were better.
3: I think that's part of what Lemonade's thesis is. You're absolutely right about kind of the, the money bowl scenario that data is displacing expertise. That at some point, people think that they can tell wines or batters or other things. But frankly, with enough data, we're seeing that the world writ large, and this is true in insurance as well, that the big data is really displacing that kind of expertise. And I think one of the big challenges for insurance has been that for 300 years, since the scientific revolution, insurance companies were the bastions of the world's data. They were home to the best statisticians. But 20 years ago, they ceded that to Silicon Valley and they've lost supremacy in the most important component of an insurance company, which is data and the ability to extrapolate from it. And that's because? It's because they were built during the Industrial Revolution and you wouldn't build a company like that today. You wouldn't use a a company built on, on human substrate to do a job that requires really machine learning. And we have the advantage of being founded this century and being built from scratch on a digital substrate. And it just produces profound advantages that will be manifest, I think, ever more powerfully with every passing cycle.
2: All right, we're here with Daniel Schreiber. From He's, you know, he's calling from Israel. Um, we're talking about Lemonade, an AI-driven insurance company that says it can resolve home and renters insurance claims almost instantly and without human bias. Uh, we'll be back after this to talk about how you deal with a crisis like coronavirus or any crisis wildfires in California when we get back.
0: Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO, Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down.
2: We're here with Daniel Schreiber. He is the CEO of Lemonade, an AI-driven insurance company. We're just talking about what, how it works because I think most people don't understand these new uh, products. But everything has been uh, disrupted in that regard, and a lot banking has. There's uh, all kinds of ways to get mortgages. Is, is has had a big, uh, you know, area of innovation. When you are in the middle of this crisis, though, what happens to insurance? Because it's all you all have to now pay out constantly. And so it sort of upends the system. And obviously, you have data to decide what risk is. But talk about this risk, for example, or the California wildfires risk. Now, that's something people know about. But this year has been particularly bad, except for the year before, which was really bad, too. Um, Talk about when you have big global crises like coronavirus or others. Now, this is in effect. You do renters and homeowners insurance,
3: correct? That's right. So we've been uh, at a first kind of level of proximity. We've been somewhat insulated. Obviously, as as people, as teams, we're very much at the heart of this. New York City is our headquarters, um, but we have four locations around the world, and everybody's been working from home for some time now. And. Let's talk a little bit about Corona and then I'll talk about, as you say, wildfires and others which are closer to home for us. Sure. We spoke about our, our charitable give back and for us, coronavirus doesn't affect our business directly in, in the way it would impact insurance companies who are in the health business or life business or business interruption or event cancellation. You know, whoever's ensuring the Olympics is having a bad week. Um, so we're spared from that vantage point. But we really do want to do our bit to to help and to try and resolve. And in fact, because we have this social give back dimension to our business, one of the things that we did this week is reached out to our customers um, and offered them to designate as part of their charitable give back for this year to generate COVID uh, responses as a charitable donation. And about 40,000 of our customers um, did that. So a lot of the money this year from premiums will be going to COVID response. We also created a few weeks ago something called the Lemonade Foundation, which is a nonprofit arm of our business. And that is going to run a bunch of projects to try and see how we can use our technologists and our product design people to try and create solutions that would help people in this hour of need. So even though our business isn't in the first circle here, we're trying to see what we can do. Then there are places that we are in the first circle. So um, you're absolutely right. Fires um, affect our business. We had customers last year who died in in the fires in California. So this is something that's near and dear to our heart and and pretty close to us. And our response here is, again, kind of twofold. One is technological. So early on, um, we implemented, um, we have an internal bot called Cooper, who manages a lot of our business on the inside. We kind of think of Cooper as our Jarvis, if you like. And Cooper actually gets a direct feed from NASA satellites with spectrometer imaging uh, overflying the USA twice a day. And it analyzes that imaging, it uses machine vision to analyze those imaging and to detect early on um, when fires are beginning to spread. So our systems get notified throughout the US of all fires, big and small, oftentimes before they make it to the news cycle. And it will take immediate response. And we do this for other natural disasters as well. It can send warnings to our customers. Um, a bunch of solutions and and, uh, policies that it can implement instantaneously without human intervention, again, using what technology is available in order to try and mitigate the risk of those kind of disasters. But we went one step further than that. One of the striking things about insurance in the US, and Europe is different in this regard, is that, believe it or not, US insurance companies are one of the biggest investors in polluting industries. There's about half a trillion dollars of premiums, money that you give to your life insurance company, your health insurance company, your home insurance companies that are being invested in coal and polluting industries. And we found that just striking, that I would take your dollars to protect you from those climate change events, from those health disasters that come from pollution, and use it to invest in the very things that are causing the wrongs that we're trying to protect you from. So Lemonade was the first and to my knowledge is still the only U.S. insurer that forswore investment in any of the polluting industries. So we're trying both you know, at a policy level to do our bit to try and mitigate those risks and then use technology at a much more proximate way to help address them as well.
2: So that gives you what? What does that do for you? The, 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 the idea of a consumer, that consumers think this is better or it just creates a trust with you and consumers?
3: Well, I think those go hand in hand um, this distrust of insurance that we spoke about earlier is pervasive and I think insurance companies who invest in the very ills that they're trying to protect don't signal the kind of thing that engenders the kind of trust that we're seeking to, to get. To my mind it goes deeper. I think that businesses at large Um, who focus very narrowly on profit maximization won't achieve even that, and ultimately they tarnish their brands. In in a world of increasing abundance, people are climbing up the Maslow scale. All of our customers already have a house, they have a a roof over their head. And to the extent that we can also cater to other needs of theirs, further up the, the Maslow scale, if you like, so much the better, and we get rewarded for that. So I think our customers do care We've taken positions on climate change Um, after the Las Vegas massacre in 2017. We instituted a policy that we won't insure uh, automatic weapons, assault rifles. We put a limit on how many guns we'd insure at all. And we conditioned that insurance on them being securely stored and responsibly used. And again, I'm not aware of any other insurance company in the nation that does that. But homeowners insurance includes both damage done to your gun and because it includes liability insurance, damage done by your gun, and when insurance companies just stand by and don't take proactive steps, there, I think it's a fairly near-term, short-term kind of perspective, rather than building the long-term trust and goodwill. You pay it forward, and it comes. So you'll to, only
2: insure if they have guns protected away,
3: or that's right. We've put a cap. We said we will not. If you have more than two thousand five hundred dollars worth of firearms, go to one of our competitors. Mm-hmm. We're not going to offer insurance for right. that. Um, If you have any assault rifles, we will not protect them at all. And if you want to be protected against the liability, if you've misused your gun and you're being sued and you want the insurance company to pay for your defense, we will do that on condition that the gun was securely stored and responsibly used.
2: And, and you determine that, you can't determine that by AI, but you have to visit, correct, in that case?
3: Yeah, those, those are complex cases that involve humans, absolutely.
2: Right, absolutely. So what else wouldn't you insure? Guns?
3: Other things? So our policy, all criminal activity is excluded. So drugs and things like that, anything that's criminally obtained. But beyond that, legitimate property will insure everything, absolutely
2: everything, but in terms of, of getting this idea. So, you know, this is, I don't mean to call you a do-gooder, but it's sort of a do-good mentality of, of, of insurance that we're not going to, you're trying to appeal to millennials to, because they like this. What is the, what is the, who are you trying to appeal to in this regard?
3: Well, I think we all like this. Um, I think everybody wants to associate with a brand with whom they have aligned values, given the choice. Um, And Yes, younger consumers seem to have put more of a premium on this. There's more distrust amongst um, younger people of traditional institutions, and they are more demanding in terms of the alignment of values and and seeing organizations do good in the world. Um, But I I think that really what we're trying to solve for is what we see as the profound bug in the whole business model, which is distrust. Um, How do you signal to your consumers that you're aligned with them and that you won't do anything to screw them over? Right. So we don't think of what we're doing as being do-gooders. We think of it as enlightened self-interest. We think that having changing a relationship that today is um, bilateral, it's the two of us and it's conflicted. If we can introduce non-profits into the room as part of our give back program, for example, then it becomes a trilateral relationship. It changes the nature of the game. It keeps us from being tempted because we're just humans and we'd be tempted if we could. It keeps you from being tempted for the same reason, and it changes the whole dynamic. And and we see that, you know, if you look at the popular review sites in the United States today, Clear Assurance is perhaps the most popular, but there are many where consumers rate insurance companies. At the end of 2019, Lemonade was separately for homeowners and renters insurance, was the most upvoted insurance company in America after three years in market. So I think that, yes, it is our organization trying to do the right thing, but it's not a sacrifice in order to do the right thing. We believe that ultimately you create shareholder value by creating sustainable long-term brands that are servicing their customers in all the multidimensional needs that they might have.
2: So talk about this idea. I mean, uh, Mark Benioff has talked about, there's been a lot, it's sort of an interesting topic, this different kind of capitalism, um, where it, it is capitalism, uh, what's he, what is he calling it? I forget. He, everyone has a different name, but it's a. I think he's calling it kind capitalism or something, which I sort of is a... Putting those two words together is kind of hard. Talk about that idea of these companies that are starting. Some, some of them, like for years, there have been some companies were doing good for the world. Google had that. Don't be evil. You know, a lot of these companies had these mottos, and they're a little evil. They're a little, they're a little problematic. They're not walking the talk. They have. Um, you know, a lot of tech companies do that, and then do the squarely the opposite of, of what they are as they get bigger and as they have more needs, they become what they insulted, I guess, or they, or they decried. Um, do you think there really is a movement towards this new kind of capitalism? Because this is sort of one of these companies that would fit in that idea.
3: I, I think we're, I think we're um, fumbling our way towards that, yes. I, I think that consumers care about these things. Anybody who listens to your show knows how much you take Facebook to task for the ills that they do. Um, And that's damaging to their brand. And at some point, that that damage becomes expensive enough that people start changing their ways. I think that consumers today care about these things. So I think the the arc of history is against the kinds of ills that you're talking about. And I think this is profoundly good. I think we're, we're at a really interesting time in the following sense. Up until now, anybody who tried to do good or give charity or what have you, a frame framed that as sacrificing shareholder value in order to do good. And they felt this immense tension between the two. And if you feel that that's the, the case, then properly there should be a real glass ceiling on how much you give back because you're being generous with other people's money. Who are you to give away your shareholder value? At Lemonade, we've been trying to innovate around this in a different way. We don't begrudge the charities the money that we give them because we think that ultimately it doesn't come at the cost of shareholder value, it maximizes shareholder value. So we've really tried to create a model whereby, yes, charities are part of it. We take policies on gun control and climate and and COVID and everything else. But we don't for a second apologize for it. We think that we're doing that to the betterment of shareholder value. We are a profit maximizing entity. At the same time, we were founded as what's called a public benefit corporation, which is a new kind of legal entity entitled to take into account the greater good without having to account to its shareholders. So we created a, a legal infrastructure that allows us to do it. Then we created a business model that rewards our shareholders for doing it. And I'll add one more thing. We were very thoughtful early on about incentives. Um, and a lot of the examples that you say, you oh, you get big and then you've got temptation. We think that the problem is the game, it's not the players. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with other insurance people, they're all wonderful people. But if, mm-hmm. you put me, <laughs> if you put me in their position whereby I could make more money by denying your claim, I'd be tempted. And now after 10, 15 years of serious social sciences in this area, we have a pretty good grasp of the damage that conflicted conflicts of interest generate and how long we can really withstand them and what lies we tell ourselves in order to work around them. And what we did was we created a business model where my temptation is besides the point. Our give back is algorithmic. It's built into our business model. It's communicated widely. It's an expectation our customers have. And therefore, I put the temptation beyond my reach by building it into the very business model. And I'm hoping that as we scale, that will survive.
2: And, and the idea is that you're, you can't cheat. You've made it so it's impossible to cheat on either side
3: on either side of the equation. It certainly disincentivizes it. You know, we we think about it as something called the Ulysses Contract. There's, um, it's a term in in game theory, but the legend of Ulysses is that he lived in a time where there was this island in the Mediterranean with sirens, these womanoid monsters who would devour anybody who came close. And sailors all knew that the danger lurked, but when they heard the song of the sirens, they were tempted and they believed in their future self. They thought, I will have the discipline to stop just before I get to the point of no return. And one by one, they, they paid with that hubris with that, for that hubris with their life. And Ulysses was the only person to hear the song of the sirens because he tied his hands to the mast of the ship and therefore he couldn't change course. And we're trying to take a page out of that to say, look, we know that we're our moral fiber is no superior to anybody else's. If our hands aren't tied to the master of the ship, we'll want to reach into the cookie jar just like the other people do. Had we change the game in the outset so that our hands are tied and therefore the goodness flows from the very business architecture rather than because we're better people than anybody else? We're not.
2: I see. Anyway, we're here with, this is fascinating, Ulysses. I, I didn't know it was a game theory thing, but I do know the story, of course, as most people do. Um, we're here with Daniel Schreiber. He's the CEO of Lemonade. He's calling in from Tel Aviv. Uh, we're talking about uh, insurance, I guess, for good, which most people don't think about. When we get back, we're going to talk about how much money they've raised in sort of the, the wider competitive space, because every area of insurance is now being venture capitalized, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Uh, we'll be back after this.
1: Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you five dollars for every twenty you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine—you name it. Find out how to get your five-dollar rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll: Less work, more clean. Terms apply.
2: This is Recode Decode. We're here with Daniel Schreiber. We're talking about insurance as good people, which I think most people don't think of. Um, And this is, you've been in the market for three years. I've been watching you. Uh, But now everybody's getting funded in this way, whether it's commercial insurance, there's coterie, uh, Metro Mile for cars, uh, and then there's uh, companies that link them to third-party insurance problems like the Zebra, Policy Genius, Insurify and then Breeze. There's so much going on in this area. How do you? And you've raised. You raised how much? You raised four hundred eighty So talk about the market of this. What's what's happening here? And, and again, it's it's. You could move it out into. I assume you're going to move out into other areas, not just what you're doing. I think you're looking at pet insurance, or maybe you're already offering it. Uh, But talk about where it's going because there's so many different fundings going on in this space.
3: There is. It's it's, um, such a huge area of the economy that was kind of left untouched for the longest time. It was striking to us when we started this um, back in 2015. um, It wasn't as you described. Nobody had ever heard of insurance and technology. The term now coined InsurTech didn't exist. And when we stumbled upon this industry, our kind of eyes lit up. Because we found a sector that is so huge, whether you look at it in terms of household penetration, it's 100 percent, or in terms of dollars, it's trillions, or in terms of its impact, which is even greater than that. You know, no doctor will operate without insurance, no plane will take off without insurance. It's really the fabric of society depends on it. So you find a sector as big as that, but perceived as gray. And then you say, wow, why has nobody touched this? Why are the companies that dominated 100 years ago, in some cases 200 years ago, in some cases 300 years ago, why are these still the brands that everybody knows? And then you say, well, it's huge, it's unchanged, um, but hey, if it's working, don't fix it. But it's actually broken because you start looking at customer satisfaction levels, you you look at the level of trust and distrust, it, it ranks lower than secondhand car salespeople. So that was hugely tempting. It was tempting to us, it was tempting to our investors. And I think it's been tempting to many other innovation companies as well. So there has been an influx. What we have done, and MetroMile you mentioned are similar in this regard, but there's really just a very few, less than a handful of companies doing this, is to try and innovate the whole stack. So a lot of companies are saying, okay, I'm going to create a shopping comparison site, or I'm going to create tools for brokers, or I'm going to create databases or fraud detection for insurance companies. Well, we thought that that's all great, and all of that needs to be done. But I think there's a real glass ceiling in how innovative, how much you can change if you're just touching one element here. And to us, it was tempting to say, let's start from scratch. Let's go and build an insurance company. Not a single line of code of Lemonade's code comes from traditional vendors. Not a single license does. We went to New York and we spoke to the regulators and we stood up an insurance company, which has never, almost never been done um, in the sector before. And what we're finding is that when you do that, the opportunities for innovation within an insurance company in a multi-departmental way, in a way that is borrows from customer interaction to underwriting, to claims management, to data management, the symbiosis of all of these systems coming together in a unified AI-driven system is just mind-blowing. And the, the level of differentiation that you can bring from what traditional carriers can do to what you can do when when you build a whole thing from scratch is really really exciting.
2: So the other uh, event you have, I assume, especially in this coronavirus crisis, and there's been a lot of reports about the huge people cannot underwrite right now. It's really hard. Obviously, they're doing payouts, um, but there's a lot of humans involved in it. And and you have, I think, what I think the the figure was, and I'm looking at this, so may not be correct, is that you you sort of don't have that problem in terms of of having to underwrite because you do everything. Online, you have this lean operation powered by self-service and artificial intelligence. And do you have a 2,500 policy employee ratio? Is that correct? That's enormous. So each person is responsible for 2,500 policies.
3: That's right. So 2,500 users. You're exactly right. So we we did a bit of a mapping just to give you kind of a, a benchmark here. We looked at the largest insurance companies in the nation, and they are several orders of magnitude bigger than us.
2: Yeah. Which is people to deal with loss, you know, human resources. They've got, they don't have as much technology investment. It's people. It's a people-driven uh, industry,
3: really. That's right, and even amongst the top five, who are the most efficient, um, some of them have a 140 to one ratio, whereas we have 2,500 to one ratio. So you're talking about something like 10 or 20 times the efficiency, without disappointing customers, just by using technology. So that each one of our employees kind of has a, an exoskeleton, if you like, an Iron Man suit almost, that allows them to do so much more than could otherwise be done. So we do pride ourselves on responding to customers super fast, doing it empathically, having humans when humans are needed. But at the same time, human interactions are so often Characterized by faxes and by hold on and let me get back to you and all that kind of stuff And if you can take that out of the system you slash costs you delight consumers and you generate efficiency That's never been seen before in the United States. Unsurprisingly Our two largest markets are Texas and California. We have zero employees in Texas We have zero employees in California. So the idea that you can run an insurance company Um, in that way is really pretty novel. We just launched in Europe last year in Germany, first country that we launched in Europe. We have zero employees in Germany as well. So it really is a a new day in that regard.
2: So we're talking about losing jobs. I mean, right now we're headed, we've been in a pretty low employment uh, employment economy. There were plenty of jobs for everybody. It's not going to be the case going forward. This economic downturn is going to be rather severe. One of the dings on tech companies is not thinking hard about the impact they have which is you're cutting a lot of jobs now Sometimes it should be cut. There shouldn't be the manufacturing revolution. You didn't need all these bodies to build the pyramids, right? You could do it you know, with tools and different things like that and just the changing nature of any industry. But do you guys think about that, the idea that, you know, if you have 2,500 cases to each employee versus 140 at the very best or more or, or less actually at other companies, you really do cheat. Is it just this is the way it's not done right? Or what? how do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I think that um, brokers in so many places are are finding that technology can do a job better, quicker, cheaper for many things. If it's a relatively simple product, whether you're a travel agent or other kinds of brokers, we've seen the same trend. And in insurance, it's kind of happening... Um, fairly naturally. Insurance so it's a
2: self-managed idea, like this is sort of self-managed.
3: That's right, and insurance brokers are actually, when you look at them as a cohort, they're aging. Very few young people are going into this sector, so it's a, it's, a, it's a business that's dying a natural death. And there will always be some need for brokers, and certainly people who want a human interaction to buy renter's insurance can do that. Um, but it's about consumer choice and giving them options that they will have and if they want to be self-served and pocket the change or give it to charity. so much the better. Um, We're not seeing, though, um, any kind of cutback in terms of our our people. um, We're hiring even in this downturn. We've been growing at several hundred percent year on year. So even if there's a a ding to those numbers, um, we still see an upward and to the right kind of trajectory. So hopefully, um, even as we go into recession and hopefully not depression, we'll still be able to look after the team members and hopefully grow the team as well.
2: And in terms of areas you're going to expand out into, do you, I'm just, I'm thinking about comparables and I hate to mention SoFi so many times, but they've, they started with one thing, they have other things, they've moved out, I think, where do you, do you move into commercial insurance? Do you move into, because I assume this will work
3: anywhere. Yeah, um, we have pretty expansive kind of horizons, if you like, both in terms of geography, <laughs> the U.S. is is huge, but we're we're beginning to launch in Europe, we've launched in Germany Um, We're launching in another country this week. We'll be launching in another one before the year is out at least. So definitely see ourselves expanding geographically and at the same time, um, product lines. We have um, these amazing customers today who who enjoy Lemonade and keep asking us for new products, but we're a small, young company and we'll expand as quickly as we can. So we have announced pet insurance. And rather than going into commercial uh, kind of B2B insurance, I think we will stay in the consumer-facing Um, arena, but we want to cater to all the insurance needs of our customers, and today we don't. We offer them homeowners, renters, condos, pet. We'll launch another major category later this year, but there are still other categories where, where they turn to us. We have to disappoint them, and over the course of the next few years, we hope to flash that out and bring the same immediacy, simplicity, and social impact dimensions to other areas of insurance, absolutely.
2: All right, and I, I want to finish up talking about uh, the big insurance companies. Now, the 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 big uh, banks were slow to fintech, but they're starting to move that in that direction. Uh, you know, Slack started with its product. Microsoft is keeping up, and so are others. How do you look at that as people begin to look at what you're doing? Or are they just incapable of doing it? I mean, sometimes that's often the case of large entrenched industries. So, talk a little bit about that concept is what do you do or get bought? I mean, they'll say, well, let's buy lemonade so that we'll be able to offer this and, and it reach the millennial customer. I think every you know, I'm not comparing you to drinks, but drinks create these really innovative drinks and then they get bought by the Pepsicos and everything else. And so how do you look at that? Like, how, how do you look at what the competition coming from these large insurance companies? They're not going to give this up easily.
3: No, and, and the good news is that insurance is not a winner-takes-all market. Um, insurance produces companies that do over $100 billion a year and do it year in, year out for decades at a time. And yet they only have 3% market share. So there's room for many winners. I don't think any of the big players are about to go kaput because we've turned up on the scene. That said, you know, it's a bit like um, Walmart and Amazon. 25 years ago, Walmart sitting around saying, oh, this new thing, Amazon, and totally failing to understand that this wasn't just a website in front of a store. Building on a digital substrate changes everything. And the differences as pronounced as as they appear in the early days become more and more and more pronounced over time rather than the gap closing. And I think insurance is in for a similar thing 20 years from now. The big names that you're familiar with will still be around, but I think the shift will be pretty stark. And they're they're led by really smart people who see the writing on the wall, want to make change, but are genuinely uh, hamstrung by the organization classic innovator's dilemma. When you have 80,000 employees um, and 80 million customers, as some of the large players have, how do you turn that around and 40,000 brokers? You've got a management team that was groomed for legacy preservation, not for change management. You've got shareholders who just want their 5% coupon every year, their dividend, and don't want you to take risks. You have an existing business that you can't just cannibalize. And I think they face the exact kind of challenges that the innovators dilemma uh, mapped out. And that therefore there will be very few traditional large insurance companies that will really be able to manage this transition.
2: And from your perspective, what do you worry most about?
3: Um, I get asked that and and I always feel a little bit awkward. There were times when the risks facing Lemonade were black and white, they were binary. Would we get a license or would we not? Would consumers want to buy our product or would it not? Would we be able to secure the reinsurance that we needed? Would we be able to raise the money that we needed? Today, we don't face one of those black and white binary clear things that keep you up at night. The risks are much more amorphous and they're much less well defined. And that is more disturbing because it doesn't mean that the risks aren't out there. It just means that it's hard to point a finger at them and saying, This is the one thing that keeps me up at night. So I think we face all of the classic challenges that everybody faces. We've got Hugely well-funded, massive, behemoth competitors. You know we are the flea; they are the the elephant. There are regulatory risks. There are weather risks. There are financial risks. There are skill risks. But so far, the wind has been in our back, and we feel extremely grateful and really lucky to have been able to progress as we have. We went from zero to over 100 million dollars in just three years. We've got three quarters of a million customers who rate us above anybody else in the nation after just three years in market. So momentum is on our side. We're to optimistic. Well, it's a low optimistic. bar, Daniel. It's, it's, a, it's a low bar, just saying.
2: <laughs> so, you, so you're going to be challenged by these big companies. How do you feel about that?
3: Well, we, we certainly respect all of them. These are formidable companies that have survived over so many years and grown into massive, massive businesses. They're well-funded. They've got very smart people at the helm. But they do face the classic challenges of an incumbent. Um, They've got systems that were designed in the 80s um, and have been built up hickledy pickledy hodgepodge ever since then, and systems don't talk to one another. They've got executive teams that were groomed for legacy preservation rather than for change, and this is a time for change. They've got tens of thousands of brokers, and how do you manage through that if you want to switch to a digital infrastructure? Um, They've got existing businesses that were architected for an entirely different kind of world for the 19th century rather than the 21st. So I don't envy any of them. I've had a few CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world say to me, hey, we understand the challenges that we face. And one or two of them said to me, I fancy your chances more than my own. And indeed, we wouldn't want to change places with them. Um, It's so tough to take over that kind of legacy, that kind of enormous operation, and adjust it to a world that has changed so very thoroughly. So if we thought that we had what it takes to do that, we would have established an entirely different company. We actually think it's easier to start from scratch, which is why at Lemonade, we built the whole thing from the ground up.
2: All right. Lastly, um, when you think about how people think of insurance and, and, and what they're doing, because right now it is on people's minds, is what what they're protected against. I think the nervousness of some. I'm thinking of myself if I would use your product or not, but I would be nervous that you would, in, in, when, when the going got tough or something happened, that I would be protected, especially in a disastrous uh, event. I guess millennials are banking differently, millennials are doing things, and that is your That is, I assume, the area, the the group of people you're trying to target. But how do you convince people who have been used to the old system and feel at least safer in it to do that?
3: So trust is an interesting thing. It is true that when you see the skyscrapers that our competitors have dotted around whatever city you happen to be in. (laughs) You don't have a skyscraper? (laughs) Look at the skyline of Chicago, of New York, of London. It's all um, insurance companies. But that kind of projects financial prowess. And that is indeed try to you know an attempt to signal to you, hey, we, we've got the money. But I think most insurance customers aren't worried that their insurance company won't have the wherewithal to pay. They're worried that they won't have the will to pay. And that's really what we try to tackle is to say, how do we signal that we're a different kind of insurance company and that we don't make money when denying your claims and that our incentives are aligned with yours? And it's worked. What can I tell you? Insurance um, sold by Lemonade has now become, as I say, the number one voted by consumers. Insurance companies and both renters and homeowners throughout the United States. And I think the trust is, is well placed. Um, we are regulated. The New York Department of Financial Services prides itself on being one of the most demanding regulators in the world. So we have to pass muster with them. We are reinsured, which means we have extra financial backing by some of the largest financial institutions in the world. So I think that the faith placed in us from a financial perspective is well-placed and there's plenty of checks and balances in place to ensure that that's the case. And we go the extra mile in terms of trying to build a business model, a technology stack, a user experience that projects to you the confidence that you'll get paid, you'll get paid fast, you'll get paid hassle-free, and so far so good.
2: All right, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming to the show and, and, and dialing in from Israel. I don't—I have no idea what time it is there, but I really appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Daniel, where can people find you and Lemonade online?
3: On Twitter, I'm D A Schreiber and Lemonade is at Lemonade.com and on all of the social media platforms.
2: All right, if you liked this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search them in your podcasting app of choice and tap on the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabbe. Special thanks to Squadcast FM. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.